wilder, 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 wilder. No one likes me. Everyone loves you. And I don't know if I want to do this anymore. (laughs) What are you talking about? Okay, let's just start with Chris and Katie, who have been listening to Screen Thoughts for seven or eight years, right? Okay. So Katie says, "Uh uh-oh, Hollister, look out. Chris loves Ted Lasso. (laughs) And Chris, in the same text, says... Perhaps it's because of this moment in time, Hollister. You <laughs> dare to say that? Blasphemy. That show is hilarious. Okay, I don't know what planet you guys are all on, but I never said it wasn't funny. I just said it was partially funny because of the times in which we live. I will also point out that had nothing to do with me. That was all about you. Well, it's always all about me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Walder, that's nothing new, but okay. And then from Miss Francis and her roommate, Shauna, I agree with Wilder wholeheartedly. This show is close to perfect. Happy, sad, funny, emotional, smart, well-acted. I think we could all take a lesson of forgiveness from Ted Lasso. I've been waiting to watch season two with my roommate because we binged season one together since it came out last Friday and it's killing me. Yeah, I agree with her. It's it's tough to watch this show episode by episode, but it's absolutely worth the wait every week. Okay, well, there you go. All right. But I just feel a little bit maligned because it's not like I did. I said I thought there were parts of it that were very funny. I do. I do. I do. I do. Hollister, I just, you were pretty rough on Ted. Everybody's on our friend that. Ted. Yeah, on all know. of our friend Ted. By the way, those are only two of them that I read. <laughs> there were more than, and I kept looking. Oh, is there anybody that's on my team and the team uh, Hollister? Zero. So I will say team Hollister at the very end recommended the show to everybody. So I know. Okay. Anyway, we're moving right along here, (laughs) but season two did drop. So we'll have to definitely connect on that. So if any, if you have any thoughts on season two, if anybody started watching it, please be sure and get in touch. Okay. Now I sent Wilder this editorial that Amanda Knox wrote. Now you all remember Amanda Knox. She was a woman going to college. She was in a a, a year abroad and a year abroad and her roommate was murdered. She was accused of murder. She was convicted twice. And then the Supreme Court of Italy let her go and said it wasn't her. And there was a Lifetime movie done. And then I mean, Netflix. there's been a ton. Yeah, I mean, a ton of stuff out there. But the most recent thing is the movie Stillwater with... Matt Damon. And basically, they've coined it as a fictional account of the Amanda Knox saga. And Amanda sent, you know, she wrote, I don't know if she wrote it or not. It's extremely well written, but I sent it off to you, Wilder. Maybe you can sort of walk through what is her premise. And then we should talk about a couple of things that she discusses that I think are worth going into. Well, Amanda writes on Medium that essentially everything that's ever been depicted of her is done without her permission. And she's not paid for it. Everybody's benefiting off of her story, off of her name, without her involvement. And what they're saying is so not true. In other words, she was exonerated and she was let go. So she should be innocent. And so why is she constantly being depicted as having had a role in this position? Well, and I I actually find her point really interesting because part of what she talks about is, yeah, they lean into the salaciousness of the original story and the original narrative, which was that she and her boyfriend were in like some weirdo sex dungeon thing that is what they killed her roommate over. And I'll be honest, I had no idea that Amanda Knox was exonerated. And so reading this piece is 
proof positive of what she's talking about is that the media only focuses on the salaciousness of the story. And she gets blamed a lot that the victim is not paid attention to because of her. And she says, you know, I didn't ask for this spotlight. I'm not taking advantage of this spotlight. I'd love to go back to anonymity, but she's not allowed to, she's not able to. And what's interesting to me, there are laws in America within IP and adaptation when it comes to films and television and movies that you can't profit off of a crime that you committed. So in America, if you're making a movie about a criminal, right, that criminal is not getting paid for their rights, right? You have the right to represent them. They've given up their rights to the money for that. But Amanda was exonerated. So I don't understand. I mean, maybe they're doing it loosely based. Maybe they're changing names. But in my understanding of how these laws work, she has a lawsuit if she wants it. Maybe she doesn't want the notoriety, I don't know. She's already got that. So, Well, yeah. So I really liked her article because she talks about, she gets reached out to like right before the premiere. Yeah. Well, they asked her to, you know, can you take a look at this and comment? But it had already been done and it was, it was launching the next day. And that's everything that she does. It also makes the point that it's always the Monica Lewinsky scandal. It's never the Bill Clinton scandal. And the truth is, Monica was the victim in that. But that's sort of a different discussion. What I'm interested in is we can make films and we can actually use names of people and not do it accurately. And we've talked about this before in some of the documentary or they now call them docu-narratives. And so they're half documentary and half narrative and you don't know which Yeah, I think those are really dangerous personally. Well, I don't know. You know, I think she brings up an interesting point of how real film becomes. To me, the cogent point here is that we have got to remember that I can sell you on anything if I give you a visual that tells you that story. Sure. I mean, there's there's a lot of license that's yep. taken with a lot of these stories. I mean, it's interesting because the, um, the Jackie Robinson story, the adaptation, the rights were held by his wife, by Jackie's wife. And so she had approval over everything that was in the movie. Um, and that was the only way that she would allow them to make the movie, which good for her. But it also means that they were not allowed to depict any of the darkness, really anything, any of the flaws within Jackie, which are kind of what make a character interesting. But also this was her movie to control. And sometimes you get a great story out of it when you're able to stick to the facts. And sometimes I get really frustrated when people veer off the facts because stories are good enough on their Mm -hmm. own. You don't need to embellish them. But I also, I do think her other point about how we talk about events in the media, events that have happened, how we describe them as being the Monica Lewinsky scandal versus the Bill Clinton affair, because he's the one in power, right? right? They're, they're consistently victim blaming when they're talking about the victims within this and it being their scandal when they're the ones who have been taken advantage of. Now, we're going to put up the link to her editorial that she put up on Media, and we're going to put it up on our Facebook page, and also we'll add it to the news section of the Screen Thoughts website, because it's worth a read. The other thing is, I think I'd like to end on the fact that words matter, even in a film that's fiction. You know, words matter. Yeah, I mean, I think American Hustle is technically based on a true story, uh, or at least I didn't know that. I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. It opens with a title card, and it's one of my favorites, but it's also risky and dangerous. 
it opens with a title card that says some of this shit actually happened. Right. So <laughs> they can get away with anything after that. Right. right some of, right. some of it's true. Some of it's we don't not. know what it is, what's no, true and no, what's not. I get, I get it. But it, it is one of my favorite title cards. Cause I think it sets the tone of the movie perfectly. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's a fun ride that movie, but it gives them license to do whatever they want. No, I get it. Totally, totally get it. Something big happened this week. Something big happened where a woman stood up. Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney. Now, let's just not even talk about the lawsuit itself. Let's talk about is it brave or is it stupid to sue a, in other words, on her, you know, here's a woman, a woman actor who's taking on Disney and certainly sending a message, by the way, for every actor out there saying, you can't mess with me like this. And she's suing them because Disney launched Black Widow, which we talked about actually, launched it both in streaming and in the theaters on the same day. And they charged for it in streaming. You had to pay $29 to stream it. And it raised $60 million in streaming and I think $70 million first week in, in movie theaters. So she's suing them saying that because she gets part of her payout is based on how many people go see it in the theater. She's saying you've made it so that you're increasing people following your streaming, but I'm not going to be getting the assets that I should be getting for the film itself. Okay, briefly, we we can't go into this too long because we've got so much to talk about today. But briefly, two things. One is people are individually starting to stand up. You know, Harvey Weinstein was the first one when you went up against a system that you thought was unbreakable. Uh, What do you think? Is this hubris or is this brilliant on her part? Well, I don't think you can talk about this without talking about the lawsuit, in all honesty. I think... Disney's pushing back at her and saying, you know, you're not respecting the fact that COVID is happening. Her lawsuit specifically stipulates that they should have held on to the release of the movie until they could have released it wide in the theaters when it was safe for people. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, actors, especially big actors in big franchises like this, will usually get a piece of the box office gross. So they'll get a percentage of how much the movie makes at the movie theater. They don't get a percentage because her contract probably wasn't negotiated for this of how much Disney makes for people watching it on Disney Plus. Which, by the way, will change immediately. (laughs) Well, this is why Warners was in a lot of trouble when they decided to release their movies on streaming the same day they were releasing them in the theaters during COVID. The filmmakers were very angry because it cuts out their profit. And say what you will, yes, I'm sure they have plenty of money, but both the studio and the actors and the filmmakers. But this is a precedent that really shouldn't be standing. And if Disney was, in my opinion, if Disney was planning to change the release so that they were going to release it both on streaming and in theaters on the same day, they needed to reopen everybody's contracts to make sure that everybody was taken care of in the way that they originally were in their contracts when it was deemed that they were only going to be releasing them in theaters. I think Scarlett Johansson's in a specific place right now because, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, her character is dead in yeah. the Marvel Universe. I was going to say, by the way, she's not in the next series. Thing, right. God, yeah. So she's... Although there should I think be it's, flashback. She could have been brought in. She could have been brought in, sure. There's also other Disney films that she probably could have been up for if she wanted to, but I think it's very brave of her to take this on. I think it's 
important as a statute for the rest of the industry and how we're shifting towards streaming. You know, the Writers Guild goes on strike pretty much every couple of years because of how much our industry is changing. And they have to renegotiate their contracts as a whole because they only get so many episodes now. They get paid by episode and shows are shorter now. They don't have the 23 episode runs of network television. They're making a lot less over the course of these television shows. So it's really important that every couple of years as our industry changes, we're readdressing, reevaluating how people get paid and how they're making money. And I think, I think she's right. I think Disney took advantage of the opportunity to expand their streaming platform, said this is a great franchise movie that people are going to want to show up for whether or not they can go to the theater. So let's give them an opportunity to watch it at home, which is awesome. But you got to make sure that all your people who are involved in the movie are still benefiting from it in the way that you are. Well, not only that, we don't know what negotiations went on before she actually put the lawsuit in. There was back and forth. We don't know what went on behind the scenes yet. But Emma Stone is contemplating suing Disney too for Cruella. Uh, Well, not just that, but we've got Emily Blunt. Also, her film launched this weekend, actually. The Jungle Cruise. Yeah, Jungle. Yeah. And and apparently she's not happy either because they did the same kind of launch that was just done. So, but what I love is that women are stepping forward in movies and they're demanding a voice and they're not afraid to stand up to, you know, they're speaking truth to power. And I have to say, we have to do that. We can't always play the game the way it's played as much as standing up for what we think is right. So good for Scarlett. It's a week of that. What? You know, I think Simone is seeing a, a lot of that as well. Yep, I agree. So, so anyway, we just did want to sort of mention that, uh, you know, our Black Widow is uh, still in the headlines three weeks after it launched. So, and now, which brings us into yet another series that's being done by Apple. We've talked a little bit about Apple and how Apple TV is doing really wonderful things. And we're going to do physical this week. And introducing physical for me I found it physically draining to watch this, Hmm. physically funny, physically tragic, physically hurtful. I mean, it's a segment of 10 half-hour shows, and it's about a woman who's in a marriage she, A, should not be in, but B, she's pretending in. And it's also about her struggling to feel good about herself with the voice inside her head, which is a main character. In fact, if anything, it's almost the main character with the voice inside her head that's telling her how terrible she is in a really brutal and excruciating way. Rose Byrne plays her. And you remember Rose Byrne from Mrs. America. Did you see Mrs. America? Yeah, I saw Mrs. America. You also remember Rose Byrne from Bridesmaids. Right. Right. And she won two Emmys for Damages, starring... Glenn Close. Yes. And amazing, amazing actor. She's got lots of chops, and you don't recognize her as the same person in each one. But I think this, she's really shining. What did you think? What did you think? Well, first of all, I think it's really important that we talk about that this is a woman struggling with a very, very severe eating disorder, with body dysmorphia. She has sincere mental health issues that are, you know, this is the early 80s. So... While I think people knew that like binging and purging and anorexia weren't great for you, there wasn't a mental health conversation that we're having today around this kind of conversation. And so the voiceover, the monologue is her inner voice. It's her eating disorder that's speaking to her. 
but it's her voice. Well, and it's also, though, about her shame in herself, yes, around the eating disorder, but also about how her confidence is, you know, in my mind, is at is an all-time low. Well, it's all tied together, right? That's all part yeah. and parcel of yeah. struggling with an eating disorder, whether it be she's a person who binges and purges, but she's gorgeous. I mean, right, it's Rose Byrne. She's stunning. She's thin as a needle and she can't see that in herself. You know, I think the first two episodes are incredibly strong. The voiceover is, it's really jarring to hear. It's the main character. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. And it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Once every half hour, it's throughout the entire show. Right. And I will say as a person who struggles with anxiety, I really identified with it. Yeah. I understood that voice. I hear that voice often. And that voice is a bully. Not only is the voice a bully, but the other thing that struck me about the voice is how very alone she is, even when she's with other people. And she has a friend who's not really a friend. She doesn't even like the friend. The friend probably doesn't like her. You'll find out in you know, episode eight, it all comes to a head. But here's the thing. That voice is a barrier for her to never, ever be connected to anyone. Right. And you said... She's pretending her way through her marriage. She's not just pretending her way through her marriage. She's pretending her way through her life. Yes. Well, right, because she can't address the problem that she has. What's really something was, I have to read the New York Times review title for their review of this series. Physical review, feeling the sick burn. And it's funny because you see these exercise segments and they don't really make you want to exercise. And that's not the point of them. As in some exercise segments, like, you know, it's all about aerobics and, and some of those, you'll see that stuff and you want to get up and you want to move to it. It's not that they don't show it long enough for it to be around that, but the sick burn. And I thought sick burn is a perfect way to describe this. And I also thought, I think this is one of those shows that could really help women, but I don't think there's anything in it for men. I mean, I think there's a look into a person struggling with a disorder in it for men. I think if they're interested in that aspect of mental health, I think there's a lot for everyone. But I also, I find it interesting that anytime she, maybe not anytime, but most of the time that she is doing aerobics, we don't hear her voiceover. That voice is quiet. Yeah. And it's really strong in the first two episodes. I will say, I think this show is too long. There's a lot that's going on plot-wise that her husband loses his job and he's running for state assembly and she's hiding their finances from him because she spent all of their money on binging and purging. Her whole life is a secret, you know. Right, her whole, everything about her is a secret. She, going to this yep. aerobics class, deciding to take it on as a teacher, like all of making this video, all of it is a secret, everything. And obviously it's her journey of recognizing that she isn't alone, right? And that she can trust others and there are people around her who will love and support her as long as she opens up. That has not shown up. I think the latest episode, it has shown up, I think between her and her friend. Yeah. I'm just going into episode eight, but here's the thing. There's a turn in episode eight. Well, two things. One is I care a lot about titles. Anybody who listens to Screen Thoughts knows that quite often I'll say a title matters. You know, it's the first impression. It's so important. And I love this title physical because what it shows to me is that what's going on inside your head, which one considers to be in their consciousness or what have you, is also physical. 
And everything about this series is around the physicality of what she's doing. So I think that's brilliant. And if I'm going to give a recommendation to take five hours of your time, there better be a reason. I don't really think film and TV is purely for entertainment. I think that you should be have a takeaway to walk away from. I think physical gives a lot of women a takeaway of a mirror of themselves and a window into that which they do not aspire to be. And I think it's highly motivating. I think it's a really important show. I think it's a really important show too. I just think that it's overcrowded. You know, I don't care that much about her. I, I care that these aspects of her life are shown. And I think that's important. She's a mom. She's in a marriage. She's finding her own voice. She's figuring out who she is and how to move forward. But they spend a lot of time on the political opponent. They spend a lot of time on the political aspect of her husband and his campaign. This is something to me that this is 10 episodes. This limited series, I think it easily could have been six to eight and I would have been much happier. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, the other thing that's interesting is on IMDb, which I always think is very slanted toward the male gender. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you know they have thumbs up and thumbs down at the bottom of the listing of the film or the TV series or whatever. And on this one, 66 thumbs up and 28 thumbs down. I've never seen a spread that close. Like usually it's, you know, two thumbs down and, you know, 98 thumbs up or what Mm -hmm. have you. And I think that you're going to either love this film or if you're not a deep sea diver into your own emotional state, you're not going to love it. Well, I mean, I think I'm probably proof a, a little bit against that. I think there's a lot of value in this, but I don't love it. I think it's good. I think the first two episodes are really strong. Oh, I don't love watching. I mean, I'm not I'm not sitting here, you know, munching popcorn and laughing and having a great time. No, well, it's a tough show to watch. Very, very funny moments. There are. But at the same time, I think it's a really important film. I got a lot out of it. No, I, I agree. But I, I think it would be more powerful, shorter I think they can say just as much as they've wanted to say in six to eight episodes rather than 10. Yeah. Okay. A little, a little uh, trivia here. So each episode begins with some version of let's get physical, Mm -hmm. physical with Olivia Newton, John song from the 1980s. Right back into the eighties. Perfect. It really, really does. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that was sort of fun. Yeah, the music and the aesthetic in the show is great. I mean, it takes place in San Diego in the early 80s, though, you know, we haven't quite gotten there yet. The show opens with Rose Byrne doing her, what I assume is going to become her, like, daily aerobic show. The production value is great. She's, like, in a super sparkly leotard, and, like, her hair is permed out to the nines. It's great. By the way, and she's an entrepreneur. She has a vision for what this should be, and she's a vision how it's going to give her freedom. And there's a piece of her that I'm loving because I feel like she's struggling to get out of the hole in which she's dug herself. Absolutely. But I, I, the show starts there, and I think that's 1986, and then it flashes back to 1980, 1981, mm-hmm. which is kind of where this journey starts for her. But she's, she's a very different person. The voiceover that we're hearing is the primary aspect of her character rather than this woman that we saw like jamming herself up for her set to go out and run her own show. Somehow she becomes that on the course of this journey. We're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. The aesthetic is great. The set design is fantastic. Uh, I really love spending time in all the homes that they're visiting and on the, on the San Diego coast. I think they do a great job with that. The soundtrack's a lot of fun. I mean, you're right in that early eighties time period and just watching Rose Burns hair go 
permed, <laughs> full out perm is just like, Big hair. I am in. The costumes are good. I feel like they actually took an approach of like, here's what people actually wore in the 80s rather than like this fun, here's where we are now and nostalgia of like how big those shoulder pads actually, you know, when you watch movies that are set in the 80s that are kind of making fun of the 80s, this actually takes it pretty seriously. And you you see that what they're wearing is like appropriate and not just making fun of the crazy 80s fashion design. (laughs) There's two people that are standouts also, in addition to Rose Byrne. And one of them plays her husband, Danny Rubin. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Rory Scoville. And, you know, I think the nuance, you got to watch his face when he's shooting his lines. And sometimes you're so busy watching her dead response to his lines that you forget to look at him. Go yeah. back and look at a couple of them. He's that great. guy has acting chops. And he hasn't been in that much that I think, you know, is so is so fabulous. He was in Superstore, the movie show, you know, he's been in, you know, Robbie, but nothing that you uh, that gives him the ability to really come forward on this. When he's he's at one point he's going to be on television. And the, the person who was supposed to be debating him on television dropped out and sent somebody else. And he was like, no show. And he, he says it in this way that is, it's just genius. Uh, it's really, really good. I think he's worth watching very carefully individually. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. He's very good, especially against Rose Byrne, who really is carrying this series on her back because it's so, it's her voice the whole way through. And there's a great dichotomy between what you're seeing and what she's saying and what she's thinking. Those are two very different things. And so to be able to carry that while knowing as an actress that that's happening, and I assume that the people who are acting against her also know that that's happening and not react to what they know is being said over, I think is really impressive. Paul Sparks plays our antagonist. He's kind of like for development in San Diego. He's in a lot. He's one of those human chameleons. I I fell in love with him on Boardwalk Empire, where he plays such like a weirdo character on that show. And he's really grown into playing kind of an antagonist in really everything. And I, I really enjoy watching him. Very confused what his role is in this show so far. I'm curious how his arc is going to intersect with Rose's, because I think that's what we're building towards. But he's fun to watch also. But I think I'm assuming that your other standout is Deirdre Friel. It is. Her yeah. best friend? Yep. Yeah. Yep. She's great. Now, by the way, we can't say she's her best friend because they're really not. Well, she is her best friend, and that's really sad. Neither one of they're both using each other to have one, not because they are one, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think that's definitely true in the beginning. This latest episode, their relationship takes a turn, which I really appreciated because I was, I was really waiting for us to get there to see some humanity out of Rose. Um, and they, they finally get us there, which I think is great. She's very, very good. And she plays a lot of women in America. You know, she is yeah. laden by her weight from being who she is, which never needs to happen. So yeah. uh, it, it's, again, watching her is very good. But there's one scene that I want to bring up. Ashley Lau plays Simone, who is a college student who used to be in, uh, in one of uh, Danny Rubin's classes. And she's sort of pushing on the campaign and she's very active in it and has this role. And at one point she's sitting in the living room and Rose Byrne is really sort of irritated by her because she feels she's way too intimately involved with her husband, not necessarily sleeping with him, but whatever. At any rate, the campaign manager is rubbing her shoulders 
And Simone keeps saying, okay, thanks, thanks. And you know, she wants him to stop. And he goes, no, no, I'm happy to do it. And she's like, no, no, thanks. I really appreciate it. I really liked it, but thank you. And finally, Sheila Rubin, Rose Byrne, turns to him and says, she told you to stop. And he says, oh, I I thought she really liked it. I, you know, and by the way, he clearly was clueless and probably did think that. Well, and he was probably high at the time, too, because he consistently is in the show. But (laughs) But here's the moment worth paying attention to. Simone says, oh, I did really like it. In other words, here's this woman who got her off the hook, got him to stop, and she still needs to reaffirm him and nurture him rather than this woman who stood up for her and said enough. And that is so indicative of those times, those 60s, 70s, 80s, as women were emerging in a different way. I remember those moments when it was a bit awkward and you'd fill that awkward space supporting the guy rather than what you really wanted. It's interesting. I I think you're probably right. I read that scene differently because I think that there's a rivalry between the two characters, between Simone and Sheila. And I think they're both aware of it. I think Sheila looks at Simone as a young, beautiful woman who is too close to her husband and wants her out of her house. And I think Simone has a severe crush on Danny and really wants in. And so I, I read that as it being an antagonism between the two of them and Simone pushing back against. Well, go back and watch it now that I've given you maybe a different point of view that is a generation ahead of you. Because yeah. I remember being at dinners and I remember a dinner, we would we had gone out to dinner with somebody who, uh, this man who worked f- with my ex-husband and his wife and he started ordering for her. And he said, I can't remember what he was even saying. She'll have the rack of lamb, medium rare. And she said, you know, I I would rather have fish. I'm going to have fish. And he said, no, just get the rack of lamb. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. And she started to open her mouth and then she shut her mouth. And I understand there was a whole power play going on at that table anyway, because the guy was with his boss. But here's the thing. I said, oh, I'll have fish too. Which fish should we have? I was like, I was going to be damned if I was going to sit there and let this happen. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, no, he's right. He always knows what I like. But I knew she didn't want the rack of lamb, you know. But I can't tell you how many times in the 80s and 70s I saw those moments between husbands and wives especially, but between women trying to find our way. It's not like that now. So now it could be also what you're saying, and maybe that moment was what what you're saying. But when I watch it, I don't think it had anything to do with their rivalry. I think it had everything to do with making sure that he thought she was a good girl. Well, and I I think you've got a good point there because I think that's what the whole show is about. Not necessarily men thinking that women are good girls, but women finding their own voices. I think it's all about Rose finding who she truly is, what she really wants, and how to go after that. And I'll be curious how they deal with her disorder, right? Because she really does have a real physical and mental problem here. And I'm, I'm curious how in this time period they're going to address that. In watching this, and and this last episode is kind of where she kind of takes on her own, which I I really enjoyed watching, but a whole show that's entirely about this struggle with mental health and how physicality can help overcome that and that she only feels like herself when she's moving and when she's feeling really active and physical. It's not something I've seen before. And I think it's interesting because we're talking 
a lot these days about mental health and how that intersects, especially with the Olympics going on right now, with being physical. And I think we're seeing that that conversation has evolved, but seeing where this conversation not necessarily started, but really lived in this character of Sheila is is a really nice way to explore this topic. Look, it's an outside the box kind of show. I don't think it's for everyone, but I think if you're a woman who's looking inside your own inner self for a voice and for what you might not even realize is one of the reasons you don't have one, it's a great show to see moments where you go, wow, I see that so clearly now. So Mm -hmm. I would urge you to watch it for sure. Yeah, I would, I would recommend the first two episodes for sure. I don't know if you have to stick through to the rest of it. If you're compelled, go for it. I am still watching it because I like to finish things. But I, I don't know if if we weren't recording this, if I would have stuck through to this many episodes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm all in. I can't wait to see how it ends. I'm in, just going into episode eight, and there are 10, as I said. It's five hours of your time. I think it's well spent. So... And thanks for writing in, everybody. Could someone please support me this week? Just one person. I promise I'll <laughs> Does it count when you're asking them to? I, I don't think so. <laughs> no, but I don't care. I'm just, I'm just begging here. So. I support you, Hollis. Okay, thank you so much. All right. <laughs> I hope you have a lovely week, Wilder, the popular one. Uh, I've never been the popular one. I don't intend I will ever be the popular one, but I hope you have a great week too, Hollister. <laughs> <laughs> 